spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs this podcast going and enjoy take care excellent spoken label. hi guys andy and spoken label back in the house back live again it's been a while because a few of you know already i've been on honeymoon and i've been resting because it's been that time of spoken able to take a well-deserved break we are back now and we've got our first guest with us today over to Florida, and this gentleman, PD, and I'll let him introduce himself in a minute. We were just working out that PD. We got talking originally, didn't we, for your agent, Michael, back in March this year, didn't it? It was a while ago. Yeah, too, it was a while ago. That's right. Yeah. That's how I've spoken labels like, because uh, sometimes it could be where we talk for a while and we eventually get people booked in, just I'm that busy. So, but anyway, we're over to Florida. So, P, do you, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them obviously who you are. You've got quite a story here, so I want to hear this story. We'll take our time with it as well. Obviously, uh-huh. you told me originally, I know you're from the outskirts of New York, but obviously you're now living in Florida. Correct. So tell people, obviously, a bit about yourself generally, and we'll start from there. All right, so I grew up in New York, about a um, half hour, 45 minutes from New York City, so a little bit north. Moved down to Florida in 1992 with the family, I was 17 years old. Did not like it in any one bit. You know, 17 year old moves away from everything he knows, not having a good time. But Florida has been good. The thing is, for about 10 years, I moved back and forth, right? So New York to Florida, New York to Florida. And I've been in Florida since 2003 consistently. So I guess I'm a Floridian at this point. And I write horror novels 100%. I love my horror, I love my gothic horror, my classic horror, I love my um, graphic horror. You name it, I do enjoy it. So I write horror novels, and I also, I'm a sci fi guy too, right? Grew up on Star Wars. So I like to write sci fi. Got a couple books out sci fi, fantasy. It's called The Rose, and that's about a species of alien vampires trying to subjugate the human population after World War III. Nice, cheerful, nice, cheerful comedy that book it was. (laughs) (laughs) Volume one currently available, volume two coming out December 21st. And then Gollum, my new horror novel, comes out October 5th. Now, very excited about that. Yeah, I've read, obviously, I've read The Rose Volume One and I've read the extra he sent over Gollum, complete different sort of books. And and what I've enjoyed about reading up in you, Paul, is obviously 
you write so many different genres of it. Is yeah. you clearly tell you that you've read a lot growing up. And I know you told me before you first started writing, you're about 10, didn't you? Which is the same as what I did, really. So so tell us about where all the love of writing came from then. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So I think it's even before. So I wrote my first full-length novel at 12. All right? Wow. <laughs> and that was a sci-fi fantasy novel. Um, of course. Of course. Of course. 100%. You know, at that time, 12 years old, you're into The Hobbit, right? Hobbit, Lord of the Rings is pretty much right around the corner. And, of course, Dungeons and Dragons. Love playing Dungeons and Dragons. And... I had a dream. I had this dream about this novel, about this adventure where they're going through the woods trying to find the book of the dead. Right. So it was a dream. So when I got out of this dream, I decided to write that novel. I wish I still had it. I wrote it in a five subject notebook. It took me a few months to write it. Whoa. I wish I had that notebook. It would just be very interesting to read. My thoughts at 12 years old. Right? I've still got my, I've, 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 managed to, I've managed to log everything I've ever completed, poem wise. I've got them all in like these hardback of A5 books. And I've got, I think it's 58 of them done now. So they're in a big box in our bedroom. So wow. that's why Fantastic. I mean, awful. So the first stuff is awful to read. I'll tell you that now. But it is, <laughs> it is what it, it is, what it, it is, what it is, man. Isn't it? So. That's right. So, so. Got to start somewhere. You know, you get better. It's like anything else that you do. You get better with it over time. You know, that is a definite fact. I, um, I also remember, all right. <laughs> so I wrote in second grade. I love my second grade teacher, Miss Benjamin. She was phenomenal. She got me a lot into reading. And I wrote a short story with a friend of mine during that time. And it's about this girl in um, fifth grade who takes a hamster to school one day and is like, you know, bring your pet to school type of thing. And the hamster escapes the cage. And then it fast forwards when she's in high school and she comes back to the school. Forgot the reason why, but you're in second grade. Probably didn't need a reason why second grade. And when she gets there, the hamster that's been surviving on crayons for years, all of a sudden is this big, huge hamster that starts wreaking havoc in the school, trying to find the owner, you know, the, the leader, master, whatever it is, this girl. And that was the, the, one of the first stories that I remember from so long ago. I mean, second grade. But I remember it's embedded in my memory. And I was actually talking to the friend that I wrote it with a few months ago, and he remembers it just as well, because it was so like surreal. I mean, second graders talking about a giant hamster terrorizing kids is not usually what you get out of a second grader at that age. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. But they do say sometimes, don't they, when you get that sort of, hey, you're doing that. The second poem I ever wrote got me a two-week detention at school because I ended up because we ended up going to a trip to a local zoo near, near where the school was, and we got asked to write a poem about it the day after. And I didn't like the teacher who took us, so I wrote about the lions breaking out the cage and eating her. So, which got me two week detention. Yeah, I can understand what you're on about with that. It's like it's sometimes it, I think mean, kids at that age, you just it's the play, it's, you know, it's the playfulness or the actual. It can't be the sheer yeah. aggression, can it? So. Yeah, it's that, that creative itch kind of comes out at a very very early age. And you just got to get it out. How are you getting out? You want to you want to create something. I mean, even, even at that age, you want to create something, something beautiful, something that people are going to like to read and enjoy, you know, and that itch started at a very, very early age for me. And honestly, I'm definitely glad for it. And that's funny that um, that story you just told that that poem got you a couple of weeks dis- detention. 
but I was in high school as well. I submitted a bunch of poems for extra credit that I have been written. And of course I have a very dark mind. That got me a meeting with the um, principal of the school and my guidance <laughs> counter at that time. They were very concerned about me and the content of those poems. Oh, brilliant. Now, obviously we're going to skip forward a bit in time for yourself because I don't obviously like going to people's personal lives here, but it's your cases. I think mean, where your work's gone to, you know you've got to practice, haven't you? So yeah. I take it when you go into adult, did your practice take over for a while then, did it? It did, it did. I had, oh, I've always been interested in psychology. And at a certain point, I was 24 years old and I had a baby on the way. Oh, right? wow. So it started real young. And at that time, I was, of course, I've always been writing. So I'm writing and I think I was writing screenplays at that time. But when you're 24 and you got a baby on your way, what do you do? You start going to work, right? <laughs> because you need to pay for that baby. So I went in and became a quote unquote, it's a psychotherapist. I always say psychologist. A lot of people don't know what a psychotherapist is. So I entered the psychology field and I've, I've loved it. I've had great success in it. The field has been absolutely excellent to me. I've owned treatment centers, um, written programs, written behavioral modification programs. I even have a, a book out there called Let Your Soul Evolve that I wrote with a few other therapists and even like world-renowned philosophers, which was an amazing experience going through that. And my wife and I have had, we're both hypnotists and I met my wife at a hypnotherapy training so that's always interesting. Love and hypnosis definitely works out. We have an awesome relationship. And most people try to figure out who hypnotized who to marry the other. You know, did I hypnotize her? Did she hypnotize me? So they're pretty sure that I hypnotized her <laughs> to, to get her to um, tie that knot. But she's a great girl. I, per had, I personally believe the pair of you probably hypnotize each other at the same time, didn't you? Yeah, probably you know it probably goes on just about every night before we go to sleep and every morning when we wake up there's some hypnosis or nlp type of stuff going on um <laughs> that's too funny so we have our private practice so we specialize in trauma and we specialize in addiction and that's been going since 2016 so what like five years now and it's been going great very successful, but a few years ago, so I've had a couple published books before this, you know, Gollum would be my seventh published book. So a few books before this, more on the literary scale, I would say, you know, kind of like labors of love, you know, type of books while I was doing this psychology. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, it's time. You know, I want to, this is my dream. This is what I've always wanted to do. This is who I am, right? Writing is who I am. So it's time to take this to the next level. So I started taking a smaller role at the private practice. And since then, I've been learning marketing, writing more books, getting things, getting things into order and getting, getting them together for when, you know, that type of success has comes right with the books. And then as far as the role with the private practice, I'll probably always do something in that field. You know, I need to, I, I love to give back in that way. And I love to work with people patients and other people in the field. So I'll probably always be doing something, maybe um, create some nonprofits or some other programs out there, which are definitely needed. So I would love to do stuff like that. And obviously now, obviously like I said before, leading back to what we're here today, to what really was your writing, you decided a couple of years ago, it was time and basis to go full-time your writing, didn't you? So, and Correct. I think the, what you've done is, I think it's a good way of doing it really, because you've pretty well carried on writing one way or another throughout your adulthood, really. 
And you're probably at the stage now in your life and you're probably ready to do it now, probably then, weren't you? So, yes. And yeah, the kids have gotten a little bit older. Although I have four kids now, but the older ones are my older oldest is about to turn 22, second oldest is about to turn 19, and then I have my twins. They just turned 10. So I'm definitely at that point where it's time to get this started. It's time to move this on. And my whole schedule over the next few years, I have a book coming out every quarter. So once every three months, we got something new, whether it's a horror novel, it's the continuation of the sci-fi fantasy, The Rose, or even urban paranormal fantasy, which is a new book called Girl on a Mission, which takes place in 1990s Brooklyn follows Liza Ward, who is a leukemia survivor and had a near-death experience. She's having a little bit of trouble in her home, right? So her dad had just gone to rehab. What happened with Liza is she is about to, I can't get into it, right? We don't have to do spoilers, but she's about to- We don't do spoilers. (laughs) No, definitely no spoilers, but she's about to have a, a crisis happen. Right in her life. And what's happened with Liza Ward when she woke up from her near-death experience, she discovered she has a power called what she refers to as the click. So she could look somebody in the eye, and as soon as she looks at them in the eye, she hears this, feels this click in her body. Whatever she tells them to do, they will go ahead and do, no matter what it is. Right. So that's her superpower. And unfortunately, with this crisis that's going to happen, Liza Ward has to make a decision. And that decision is she's going to become a hitman for the Italian mafia in 1990s Brooklyn. And that's what she's using her superpower for. Now, obviously, like, with your writing, such a variety of your writing, um, I always believe, because I am a primary poet back and adjust it certain ways. Do you find it when you're writing these sort of novels, like, do you tend to just write one novel at a time? Or are you doing bit, getting bits ready for the next book all the time as well? And constant research i've write one novel at a time however i will edit the other novels while i'm writing so i, I write in the morning so when i do my best work i love getting up in the morning boom in the afternoon after some marketing so morning's done do some marketing get some posts ready to get shot out there you know and then after that take a nice break have some lunch and then i go into the editing phase because it's it's kind of like putting on two completely different hats you know, in the writing phase, I'm in, I'm in the creative, the mojo, the, you know, the blood's flowing, the energy's going with that. But when you start editing, you got to take emotion completely out of it. Yeah, no, great, great. Done, you know, great, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a completely different mindset and a different hat to wear, although all creative. You know, it's the editing portion of, of the novel is like it's like that artist, you know, who did this beautiful mural. And then what does the artist do? Gets up real close. You know, what are the fine details? Putting all those fine details into the painting. That to me is what editing is, getting those fine details in there. Making sure the sentence structure is good. Fragments versus run-on sentences versus keep this fragment because it has a powerful punch to it, you know? Those are the little, little things that you're doing while you're editing that novel getting it ready because you, you want it to have the you want it to pack a punch you know and you don't want to trip over hey you just spelled instead of this you wrote hits you know you don't want readers mind to go there so you got to have good editing yeah no I completely agree with that one so straight away so it's like um when you're doing all your books and you'll say you're trying to do one a quarter how quickly do you actually do your first draft normally on it does that tend to come in about five six weeks when it's a couple months of editing normally is it 
It does. It actually takes me, I would say, on average, three months, 90 days to write the first manuscript of just about any book. Although I will say over the last couple books, so between Girl on a Mission writing now, Rose Volume 2, and before that, I wrote a book that I call my COVID quarantine, um, like insanity novel. It's called, it's a horror novel called Jiggly Spot and the Zero Intellect. It's 150,000 words, and that took me six months to write. Wow. <laughs> so that was a long one. That, that was... I did not. What's funny is, of course, I expected Jiggly Spot when I first went into it. Jiggly Spot was going to be a novella, short, quick to the point, and then move on from there. And Jiggly Spot just kept it kept going and going. It's told multiple points of view, which is what I love to do in any one of my books, especially the most recent ones. You're going to get multiple points of view. All right. So in The Rose, you're actually you know, the psychology and the alien vampire, you know, what's making them tick, you know, what their motivations are in books like Gollum. You'll get three different points of view with multiple characters going on. And I, I like that that dynamic, you know, of getting into the characters heads. I am a psychologist, so I love the psychology behind it. So I enjoy doing that. And with Jiggly Spot, there was six different characters. All right. Wow. So it was boom, boom. And they're all interconnected. Wow. They're all part of this um, demonic ritual that's about to happen that Jiggly Spot needs to put on. And it's their entire life over two weeks span leading to this one crazy moment at the end of those two weeks. So it took me six months to write and it was 150,000 words. Wow. Now I've got to ask you, obviously, like first said, obviously you've been writing since you were very young. Did uh, these writing and these various characters' viewpoints come later on? Or have you always been doing some variation of this all from the beginning? No. My first book, let's see, Indifference, um, came out in 2011, a billion times <laughs> time. But those books, even uh, Twisted Dale's Tales of Deceit is all short stories with one novelette. But those are all those books are not told through multiple points of view. I think it started with a book called Presenting the Marriage of Kellyanne and Jerry Denimer, which is like a dark paranormal fantasy with a little bit of inspiration behind it as well. And that book was the first one where I started going through different points of view. All right. Because it, it needed to happen for the story to be told precisely. All right. So I definitely, that's the first book that I used for multiple points of view. And then I enjoyed it. Like if you read, let's take Dan Brown, for instance, you know, the Robert Langdon series, Angels and Demons, you know, stuff like that. He has that, that thriller, you know, the book's pumping and you're seeing multiple points of view, multiple little pieces of action happening all at the same time. And I love that dynamic. It, it gives the reader so much more of an overview of the entire picture of the story of what's going on. So I definitely enjoyed it. And I, I think it pushes the narrative in the book really in a great, beautiful pace where the reader is really just enjoying going on this ride, enjoying themselves. Oh, completely. Now, obviously, um, I've only read two of you, one of the part, part of your books. So we're going to have to talk about the two that I know, right? So yeah. first of all, then, so I'll go back and look at your The Rose series and right about your vampires now. Tell us about yeah. The Rose and where the idea for that came from then. Okay, so that idea, the rose itself is an accumulation of three different novel ideas I had a while ago, all right? So 
see. One was a sci-fi. It was going to be just a sci-fi. It was going to be a space opera. All right. And that's where I got the idea. That's where my heroes in this book come from, The Rose Volume 1. And they were using at the time, because I was big into Star Wars, loved Star Wars. I needed some sort of lightsaber or something. And I had created something called that I referred to as The Blades. All right. So if you know what martial arts are, you know, something called Kabuto Tanfa and a Tanfa is like a police baton. Right. So you hold it in your hand and it goes down your forearm. A piece of wood goes down your forearm. What I did is I took that weapon and I changed it. and I made them blades. So they're like swords that you have on your arms. So a lot of martial arts was in this book. So that's where the blades came from. Another book that I was going to write was called Robin Winter. All right. And that was a eh, kind of like end of the world. World War Three is about to happen type of dystopian world. All right. So I was about to write that book, but then I took the character in this book and he popped up in there. So I'll write Winter at a later date. It's part of the story. But that's where I got him. And then the third one was about alien vampires. All right. So in alien vampires, I originally had the idea from a series called buck rogers have you ever watched buck rogers yeah. oh yeah I've, I've i've even read the original books and came from as well so yeah great i love buck rogers definitely so yeah definitely a lot of fun stuff and they had an episode and i was probably about three or four years old that had an alien vampire in it and it scared the hell out of me and i've always wanted to write a book about alien vampires so when i started writing the rose which is actually with a prequel to another series I was writing called The Indigo Trials. And same thing with The Rose of Jiggly Spot. The Rose itself was supposed to just be a quick little short story kind of prequel to The Indigo Trials. And it just kept going and going and going. And the reason why it's called The Rose, which I should make clear. So The Rose is the superpower, all right? And it's based on an alchemy meditation. And in alchemy, this meditation is to ward off, funny as it seems, energy vampires. All right. So that's the superpower. No energy vampire can suck out your your personal energy when you're using this alchemy meditation. But I kind of upped it. All right. So they could change chemistry. All right. With this superpower, they could also lift objects, suspend gravity with their mind as well. So it's a little bit of telekinesis as well. So that's why it's called the rose. The rose is the superpower that number one, the main um, super main hero is trying to like perfect in this novel series is the rose. Really, really. Now, obviously the other book I've got to ask you about for you've been talking about it a little bit, it's out in October, but this podcast will be going live after that. So we could talk about that a bit more is Golem, which you've just kind of yeah. shown with the, the big hardback already. So where did Golem come That's from? Right. Then? Okay, so Golem is my monster book. All right. Frankenstein is my favorite novel of all time. And still that still stands true to today. And I've always been intrigued, especially with the 1800s Gothic horror um, era that existed. Uh, think about the 1800s. You got from it begins pretty much with Frankenstein and it ends with Dracula. I mean, if that's not a beautiful century of literature, I don't know what is. So. When I, as I was growing up, I was always intrigued, always loved the classics, the horror classics, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, um, Dracula, Frankenstein, obviously Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, the ace goes on and on with that, that century. So I've always wanted to write my monster book. 
All right. And when I was sitting down to write a horror book, I said, that's what I want to do. I don't write my monster part and we bring it to today's age. So I came across Gollum and it's been, I would say about 20 years in the making for this book, which always started with that thought. I want to write my monster book. All right. So what do I need for a monster book? I need a monster. Right, that's number one. Right, so a few years ago, I'd say about within the last ten years, I watched the silent film Gollum. How oh, I love film. that film. I was going to ask you, have you seen it. that? Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. fucking film. Yes, excellent. I love silent horror films. So I was like, that's fantastic. You know that the Gollum character. Let's do something with a new spin. But at the same time, right. And this was probably about, this is the 20 year ago thing. I was taking a class on theater, right? And my teacher on the curriculum put Pygmalion and then the My Fair Lady with Audrey Hepburn, which I absolutely adore oh, as well. Brilliant. Right? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So I was like, all right, Pygmalion. I love the story, you know, the mythology behind the artist creates this sculpture and the sculpture comes to life. He wills the statue to come to life. So I kind of mixed Gollum, the Jewish folklore, with Pygmalion to create this book. But it takes place. I didn't want to put it in, you know, witches in woods type of thing. You know, there's so many people who have done that. I wanted a different setting, a different time era for it. And I didn't want to put it in present time. So what I did is I looked... And I found 1940s and the early 1950s New York City. And that to me was absolutely perfect, especially after I started doing a lot of research on the era. Because a golem, you know, you incarnate him into the statue. But the reason why he's being incarnated is to help save the society of which the people are bringing him up. You know, whether there is a external threat or an internal threat. That's what the golems come there for. However, he's a demon, so he turns everything on its head. So I needed controversy. I needed a, a lot of uh, scandals and stuff like that. So after researching the time period in New York City in the late 40s and early 50s, I found so many things to actually include and weave into the novel. So many scandals, so many uh, just debauchery that went on during that time period. And I was like, all right, this is absolutely perfect. Um, that's where I got my setting. So I got my monster, got my setting, and then sit down to start writing. And uh, what happens is when we're doing research, we kind of go down uh, some rabbit holes, right? And we're enjoying them. And I came upon the Black Eyed Kids. So I made the Black Eyed Kids part of Gollum's Minions and part of the story as well. Leave that into there. I wrote the first chapter starts on Halloween. So it immediately gets you into the mood for Halloween right off the bat. And this debauchery and this, I put the psychology behind it because this is what does classic horror have? It has a lot of psychology, a lot of, a lot of big themes, you know, man versus man, man versus nature, man versus God, man versus himself. So I wanted all these types of themes in there, but also to reflect current society as well, right? So isolation is a theme. Loss is a theme. Contempt is a theme. Mm. Fear, obviously, a theme. Isolation, a theme. So I love my themes. I do love my themes. Yeah. And just writing, you know, just kept writing the book. And what came out was just complete psychological, gothic horror terror. And I did enjoy writing it. Yeah, you could tell you just tried to over that. Now, I want to ask you another question as well on this one, a slightly different topic. You were talking before about your crazy lockdown book as well. Now, obviously, and 
I wonder, obviously, dog, hopefully the world's coming out of lockdown now, but how did it affect you as a writer? The lockdown? Yeah. What's Okay, so the lockdown was horrible for a lot of people. Fortunately for myself, a friend of mine owned a substance abuse treatment center, and because of the lockdown, he had over 120 patients and his staff was kind of dwindling. They didn't want to come to work. So he asked me to come in because, listen, if you're in treatment and you're trying to get off drugs and you have mental health issues, being in a lockdown can have dire effects. Oh, yeah. Right? So I've, got, I've got a friend that's in that situation still at the moment. So, yeah, I agree. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So I went to that treatment center and saw patients. I ran groups there. I did whatever needed to be done to make sure they were safe. So during the lockdown, I was actually out all the time. So I didn't have the isolative experience that everybody else had, although I've an isolative type of person when I was in my younger days. So I completely understood what was going on. No, I just don't completely with that. So I think lockdown as writers has affected people in different ways because I did and I was in the middle of a quite a long poetry book for about 18 months before we got to lockdown. And as soon as you got into lockdown, I dropped that book and I'm back on it now. But I took a break from it for 18 months and I think the writing went in a different direction. So you're looking at things in different ways, aren't you? So but that one in your case is now, like you said, for people can see what you're up to. You've got so much on the go at the moment, it's incredible. That's straight straight away with it. Now you were telling me before, obviously, as well, like you've got a new series starting in February next year, haven't you, as well, called The Girl on the Mission, which is due out late February next year. So give people a little bit of a talk about that, man. Where did this come from? All right, so Girl on a Mission, that is the one with Liza Ward, the leukemia and near-death experience survivor. So where did that come from? A long time ago, someone told me that I would make a great um, Italian mafia leader, a Don, all right? So I was also told that when I was younger that I would make a great hitman. Although, no, nah, the whole murder thing really wasn't something I could do, right? So I was thinking a couple years ago about that thought process and what, how life would change if you actually you know, went and took on that path. All right. So I had this thought in my head of a kid of 17 years old in 1990s, because I'm a grunge kid. It's where I grew up, who becomes a hitman. And then I said, nah, it shouldn't be a guy. It should be a, it should be a girl. So that's where I came up with Liza Ward. And then that just kept going. You know how it comes, you know, when the thoughts start coming and the plot starts unfolding, that's what you get, you know, and then. I wanted her to be a leukemia survivor, and then I wanted her to have some sort of superpower, but I wanted the conflict to be there as well, that internal struggle conflict that characters go through. You know, should she do this? Should she commit this murder? If she doesn't, then this person is going to be not with her anymore. So what is what would take her over that edge to actually choose to actually become a murderer. And of course, that other person that she's about to use this superpower on needs to be a little bit on the sleazy side as well. So we definitely get some sleaze in, in this novel too. Oh, sleaze um, rules, right? Sleaze rules, definitely. <laughs> that um, that's my life award. And that series, I'm not sure, right? So it's a novella series. And at first I was thinking it'd be about six novellas. And now I'm thinking, I'm not sure. It could be three to six. So it kind of depends on how much information, how much I get done in this first novella once I'm finished writing. 
which yeah. shouldn't be, be about yeah. another month. I suppose, in a way, for you, it's good. Like you're taking, you're doing some novellas to take a bit of a break from all the, the longer yeah. novels you're doing as well, isn't it? Because I'm always a believer. It's good sometimes to write something a bit shorter, almost like a refresher, isn't it? But then when you go back to your next novel. You think, yes, I'm ready for that. Agreed, 100%. It's a breath of fresh air. That you're writing this novella and you're like, you know, breezing through it and it's not the, the big one. Jiggly Spot in the Zero Intellect is 150,000 words. That's, it took me six months to write. That's a novel, you know, that, take that book and when it's a hardcover and slam it on the desk, it'll make some noise, you know? I think it's, it's what you tell me, it's a good way of getting your twins to behave themselves. If you don't, you just lob the hardback book up. <laughs> Fact, I will definitely be using that from now on too. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all like, the book. yeah, I will keep, we'll keep this podcast away from your children, obviously, of course, because Poker Label doesn't endorse child brutality, no matter if they, they ask for it or not. <laughs> well, obviously, now, um, I want to ask you, P, obviously, to finish with before we go to the big plug thing and what's you've obviously you've talked a lot of what's coming up next anyway. So, but I want to ask you generally about silent films because you mentioned this before. And I, every time I get chatting to someone, love silent films. I want to know your case. You love the horror ones. Have you got any particular favorite ones? Yeah, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Oh, it's tremendous, tremendous. So good. It's his. I love how he like did that change by just contorting his own face from Jekyll to Hyde. You know, there was no, there's no makeup. There were no camera angles. Nothing. Like he just like crunched up his face and made it just maddening. It's and it's brutal too. It's violent. It's just it's an absolutely an amazing film. And told it, it's like they got the essence of the story 100% down pat. You don't even have to watch any other movie, other any other Jekyll and Hyde movie other than that one. It's got it all there. And That's here's the thing I did. And I wish I, I might be able to find it here, but if you go to my website, you'll find it. I wrote an article, right, that matches Pink Floyd albums to silent horror films. Oh, wow. Right? So, and I discovered that a long time ago when not a lot of people like silent horror films. So I wanted to have people watch these silent horror films because they were important to me because I love them. But I understood that the music or something needed else to happen. So what I did is I hit the mute button, you know, and I took the whole um, philosophy of with the Wizard of Oz play Dark Side of the Moon type of thing. So I'm like, I bet you I could match up some movies, silent movies with Pink Floyd albums. So we came up with it and it definitely worked. It's definitely a different way of watching the movie. And you don't have to worry about all the, the drab um, classical music that they do include in there. You just got Pink Floyd going. You're just watching and having a good time. Oh, yeah, completely. One that always sticks in my head, I saw, was I saw a live version of the Nosravatu done at a local centre about 10, 10, 15 years ago here. What they did was they had, they had an ambient musician on come and do an improvised soundtrack over the top of it. And when you see right. stuff like that, it just gives it such a different feel. You're seeing a silent, silent film like that, it does. And I it's get, uh, it's oh, yeah. um with Nosferatu as well, right? So forget the I'm forgetting the exact albums, right? That's why I wish I had my blog somewhere up here. I can tell you, but with that uh, movie at the end when Nosferatu is like drunk on blood, right? What's going on? The song that's playing in the background is comfortably numb. So it matches like perfectly with that scene. He's comfortably numb. He just drank all this blood right before his demise at the end. 
Oh, wow, I like that. I know I like the idea behind that. Definitely. Someone was brilliant. Definitely. So, yeah, yeah we'll have, we'll have to, I'll get you back on some point in the future. We'll have a talk about this article because it'd be nice to yeah. side podcast too, definitely. So I'll be going to really go into depth on that. So definitely. Now, obviously, just so people know going forward then, obviously mm-hmm. we've talked about what's coming up for you past February. Is there anything else planned for next year beyond that? Yes. All right. So we have volume three of The Rose will be published next year. And Jiggly Spot and the Zero Intellect will be published next year as well. And that's probably, Jiggly Spot is probably mid-September, where the Rose Volume 3 is either going to be in June or that'll be December of next year. Kind of depends. But as well, so with Girl on a Mission, we're going to have, obviously, the first one, which is called The Dead Do Speak. And then we're going to have second, the second Girl on a Mission novella next year as well. So we, we got a few things going on. Yeah, I think sleep is optional, isn't it, really? So that is a fact. I get up at 4 a.m. So oh god, no. Best way to do don't, it. Don't want to think about that. So I know I could operate that time <laughs> in the morning, definitely. So now obviously, Pete, if people want to find out more about you, mate, start wrapping up. Where is the best going? Okay, best best place to go is pdoliva.com. It's my website. There's the newsletter um, sign up right there on the page. So go ahead and sign up for that newsletter. I send that out about once a month. And that's great for cover reveals. You get first dibs on sales. You get free books as well. I do give away some books too. So that newsletter is awesome. I have a book club as well on Facebook. All right. So that's called just type in on Facebook. If you're on there, PD Oliva's book club, and it'll come up. It's called PD Oliva's alternative fiction reader group and book club full name. And that's great. Right now we're actually reading Gollum. All right. So as part of the book club, you get your free book of Gollum and then you get to read it as well. Book club discussions every Monday, but that's obviously coming to a close. And by the time this airs, it'll be over. FYI. So what we're reading next is actually The Rose followed immediately by The Rose Volume 2. And we're probably starting to read The Rose, I would say, mid to late October, and then Volume 2 right after that. And you get, you get the free books, and it's part of the book club. That's a great way to find me. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really good idea, actually, of networking your readers that. So where did the idea for this come from, then? Because I'm going to – because I think it's a really good idea. Understood. Understood. It came from actually another author, um, friend of mine, um, Andy Peliquin, and I hope I just pronounced his name, last name correctly. Um, great guy. And he's been writing. He writes mostly fantasy and he's been writing for years and does quite well. And he's helped me out a lot. And that was his idea because he does the same thing on Facebook as well. Really, it's a great idea. Definitely. Sounds like it's a really good one people, people to get to go and do, definitely. I'm not sure if I could read at that sort of pace. I'm such a slow reader. It's ridiculous. But no, good luck. Good luck, Peter. Definitely. So thank you. Thank you for today, mate. It's been a pleasure. So we'll wrap up here. So I want to thank you again today, mate. And hang around. I do need to chat to you off mic. But this is the, it's for today, guys and girls. Andy N signing out. And thank you, PD. See you all soon, guys. Stay safe. Spoken, mate.